Hello, you're listening to the Suffolk Pro Help podcast with me, Angela Lee Foster. Suffolk Pro Help is a countywide network of professional businesses providing support to charities and community groups in Suffolk who are unable to afford such expertise. Suffolk Pro Help is part of Community Action Suffolk and we're funded by the National Lottery Community Fund. If you're a charity, community group or social enterprise who need our support or a business interested in getting involved with us, you can find out much more at suffolkprohelp.org.uk. So welcome to the Suffolk Pro Help podcast and today I'm with Liz Gifford who's a solicitor from Barker Goatley. She specialises in charity law and during her career first in London and now in Suffolk Liz has advised many types of charity from those operating internationally to those with a very local focus and she's contributed to a number of legal textbooks in relation to charity law. Liz deals with a whole range of different matters relating to charities. Among them, one of the queries which often comes up is how to incorporate a charity. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Welcome, Liz. Hi. Hi. So, yes. So what are we talking about when we talk about incorporation and a charity? Okay. so um, generally by incorporation, what we mean is the process by which an unincorporated charity transitions into an incorporated charity structure Um, and to go into that in a bit more detail an unincorporated charity is generally a charitable trust or an unincorporated association and an incorporated charity is generally um, well there are various structures but typically we're talking about either a charitable incorporated organization the CIO or a charitable company Um, and now um, very often particularly with um, the charities that I work with in Suffolk the CIO is is the sort of the favoured option in terms of the incorporated um, structure that's chosen. And many of the smaller charities that we uh, sorry the smaller organisations that we come across are unincorporated Um, are there any downsides are there any benefits why why would someone either retain that structure or maybe think about wanting to incorporate? Okay, so overwhelmingly, um, the reason that trustees are interested in incorporation is to limit liability. Um, so if we are just if we, if we think of an example that, um, to illustrate this, if we, if we imagine that you and I were to say, say we wanted to set up, say, a food bank charity, um, we might begin by writing down um, the charity's name, what it's being set up to do, who's going to run it and things like that. Um, and then and then we deliver the charity services, we, we, we seek donations, we, we start providing food and things like that. At that point in time, we are just unincorporated. We haven't gone to the Charity Commission to register as a CIO or, or gone to the company's house to register a company. It is just, it's just us running a charity, so we're unincorporated. It becomes clearer then that if we decide that we want to, say, enter into a lease for premises or we want to buy in other services, enter into a contract for that, it's you, it would be us personally on behalf of the charity entering into those commitments. Mm. So if we fail on them for any reason, then 
the other party involved would be making a claim against us personally in respect of it would be in relation to the charity but it would be our, our names that they that they that they follow up with um and so whilst we may be able to um cover some of the claim from the assets of the charity if there aren't enough assets available um then it will be us who are personally liable because we personally have entered into those commitments if yeah, you can't so Sorry, carry on. I was going to say, if you contrast that with the position of an incorporated charity, those kinds of commitments are entered into by the charity itself. So you would see the name of the CIO on the lease or the contract. Um, you would see um, the, or, or the company, and so it's the it's the CIO or the company that is that that would be that would be liable in those situations. Um, and it, because it, because that corporate structure is is a separate thing. It's like in, in law, it's called a separate person. It's, a, it's called a separate legal personality and mm -hmm. the trustees sort of sit behind it. So overwhelmingly, that's of comfort to trustees who, you know, many of whom want to sort of help their community, want to be altruistic, but aren't, um, but are, um, you know, they want some extra protection in terms of not exposing their personal assets. Yeah, so I understand that kind of personal liabilities is probably the key factor. Would there be any circumstances where um, an organisation would necessarily incorporate like that? Well, it, the, the risk of liability is greater in um, for some charities than others, depending on what they're doing. So, um, for instance, a charity which is doing things like it, which is taking on commitments effectively will be more exposed um, the trustees of a charity like that will be more exposed than the, than the trustees of, say, for instance, a grant-making charity, which, when all it's doing is is just making grants and not taking on commitments in the same way. You know, it might not have. If if a charity doesn't have employees, doesn't have premises, doesn't have contracts, then obviously the risk of liability is more limited. Um, yeah. And so a charity like that might decide that actually incorporation for the reasons of for the reason of limiting liability isn't isn't you know necessary. Um, but also. But the other reason, although it's probably subsidiary, that that trustees think about incorporating is for ease of ease of administration. So if we imagine again our food bank charity, we've entered into a into um a contract in our own names. Um, when new trustees are appointed, we might need to think about transferring that contract over to them. Um, whereas when you have a con when you have a, a CIO or another corporate charity it's just it's just the um it's, it's the, it, it that doesn't change it's, it will it'll be in the name of the of, of the of the corporate charity and there's no sort of switching um there's no there's no there's no need to transfer um assets or um assets mainly into the names of the the new trustees um right. so for instance that that happens particularly for trust for um unincorporated charities that own land at the land registry um it's quite nice to have just one you know not to have to keep switching names at the land registry every time there's a change of trustees um it's, it's nice to just have one corporate yeah. um entity on the on the register oh i see yes and so you said there were two different types there were cio charitable incorporated organization and a charitable company um why might uh, why might why might an organization choose one over the other um so until re relatively recently in the scheme of things the charitable company was the main option um and then so, so what charities had to do was set up a company 
and then with Companies House, and then they'd also register it with the Charity Commission. Um, but relatively recently, and I think I think it was 2000, some, I think I think it's around 2014, the CIO was introduced. Um, and it's a new type of corporate structure. It has, it, it wasn't in existence. They weren't available before. Um, and what sort of the, the distinguishing feature of the CIO is that it's, um, it's only registered for practical purposes is that it's only registered with the charity commission so right. it means that trustees don't have to worry about complying both with companies house compliance and with the charity commission the trustees of a cio only need to worry about charity commission compliance um and that there and there is law specifically relating to cios so it's a sort of a bespoke stru structure for for charities and i think so lots of I think lots of people find them easier to understand in a way than um, than companies. Um, but, but sometimes, but sometimes, um, sometimes more sort of complex charities, there may be advantages in in having a, a company. Um, but for the sort of local organisations that we're talking about, um, normally, that I think will probably most be listening to this pod podcast anyway probably the CIO is the one that they they might want to go for um, it might it's the sort of thing that might be worth looking into um, or talking over with a legal advisor you know at the outset um, just to make sure yes and um, at Suffolk Pro Help we get lots of requests for support for organizations to become CIOs it's not one of the things that we can regularly help with because um, it can be uh, a more convoluted uh, process and it's more or less the bread and butter work of most of our solicitors that, that uh, support Suffer Pro Help, uh, which is why we're doing a podcast to try and give some information mm. and uh, advice to, to organisations. And I believe that the exact process of incorporation does vary between individual charities. So maybe it would be helpful to broadly explain what's involved in incorporation. Yeah, sure. So um, we think we mentioned at the beginning, we're talking about a process. So what happens is, um, first of all, the new, I'll, I'll just refer to a CIO because I think that's probably mainly what we're talking about. First yeah. of all, the new CIO is registered at the Charity Commission. What that involves is putting together the constitution, the application, um, all of the um, supporting documents and getting the, the CIO registered with the Charity Commission. Um, and then once that's registered, then the second step would be to transfer the assets of the existing charity to the new CIO. And then finally, there would be a decision about winding up the existing charity um, that's obviously a huge sort of simplification, simplification of the process um, yes. because to go into each of those steps in in more detail, I suppose the, the, the initial preparatory step will involve looking at um, looking at what the charity's governing document currently says about um, incorporation or being wound up um, and whether it has power to incorporate looking at the kinds of assets that the charity holds and whether there are any issues about transferring them to the new to the new CIO thinking about whether the whether the trustees want to make any um, changes to the current 
governance practices within the within the charity so for instance the appointment of trustees or whether they're still fit for purpose um thinking about the kinds of grants and contracts that the charity has and whether there's going to be um the, you know the, the, the issues that might come about with those with transferring them to the new charity so there's this sort of it, there's quite a lot of thinking the new bank account mm -hmm. all those kind of practical all, there's lots of practical thinking to go into um the process of incorporation um and then and registration with the charity commission can take quite a long time because the, the application form is quite long um there's quite a lot usually quite a lot of documents to attach de trustee declarations to sort out all of that kind of thing um the transfer of assets sometimes involves additional authorizations possibly from the charity commission um and but typically a written agreement between the two charities the existing charity and the cio and then whether to wind up the existing charity or not is another kind of thought process that has to be gone through so it, it's um it's it's a, it's a process which does vary from charity to charity but overall in, in totally simplified terms the legal process involves setting up a new charity and then transferring the assets of the existing charity to it um, and then winding up the the existing charity and i can see that you know there's a lot to that you know that much more than, than than meets the eye there you know in in terms of all of the governance all of the assets and everything so is it how would would a, an organization want to involve a solicitor from the beginning are there steps they can take uh you know before they involve a solicitor uh, you know obviously i think legal advice is, is needed in some probably a large part of the process but what what could an organization do for themselves to get the ball rolling if they're interested in becoming a cio i think there's quite a lot of um there's definitely some information on the charity commission's website about um incorporating and um it's it's well worth having a proper read through of that also assuming that the cio is considered the the appropriate structure to look at in, in to look pro properly at the model documents which are on the charity commission's website um also for village halls the um acre does a publishes a, a model document which is also um i'd also suggest worth looking at for, for village hall charities um and so 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 getting so trustees can try and get their heads around what the new charity will will look like and how it will operate um and then think about what assets the charity has you know does it have land does it does it own property for instance does it have a freehold or a leasehold interest which is going to need to go across to the new charity because probably it, it probably legal legal input would be needed for that um does it have any restricted or endowment funds um that need to be um whose terms need to be considered and how are they going to go across um so so i suppose trustees can probably think carefully about what assets they've got what commitments they've entered into and then and then also look at the model documents on the charity commission's website and then and it, it may be you know because for very very simple charities which for instance just have cash at the bank mm. it it's you know it's possible that they they might be able to handle it themselves um but for others they may well want to get some some professional input the other thing is it's you know if for for a charity which has um you know accountants working for them they probably want to involve the accountants as well um and and that all sounds like it takes time even in a small charity i mean what, what i mean in terms of time scale um 
you know, if a charity were to start the process today, how long would it take to be incorporated? You're going to tell me how long is a piece of string, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, sort of. Um, it really depends on it, it depends on a few things. The first, I suppose, is is how complicated the transfer. It depends on how complicated the transfer is, both from the perspective of the charity's governing document, what they want the new CIO to look like, what the what assets they've got, um, and. It also depends on the sort of the trustee time available to move it along. Um, mm. It depends on whether membership approval or, um, or if some other kind of approval is needed, for instance, at an, an AGM or something like that. Um, when what the, what the timing of that is, or whether it's possible to to call an extraordinary me extraordinary meeting, so that all that kind of internal administration of the chat at the charity can either make it take more or less time, depending on you know on what's in what's it what it's got going on internally and then of course the other factor is the processing times of the charity commission um which again can vary depending um on its own workloads but also how how um sort of how difficult the incorporation process looks from its perspective you know whether if there are already some issues going on with the existing charity um and if the governance of the new charity might look quite different then it might then the commission might want to spend a bit more time looking at the application for to register the new charity than it might do something which is just a complete you know corporate replica of an existing charity um so all in all it can take well it can definitely take months i mean i've seen some charities take many 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 months to for it to go through um and and typically charities will want to um make the transition happen at a convenient date in terms of their accounting. So it might be the beginning of an accounting year or halfway through or something like that. Um, and so for all of those reasons, um, it take the short answer is it takes longer than expected normally. <laughs> to, yeah. Because we think we talk about incorporation as if it's, you know, a switch. And of yeah. course it's not, it's like, it's a process. It is step by step working out what needs to go across, how it's going to go across, making sure that the new charity is ready to accept the assets you know does it need to have a bank account for instance open um mm. a new bank account open all of that kind of and, and that kind of you know just talking to a bank can take i think people know it's possible that it can take um you know much longer than expected to open a bank account for a charity um so if the cio needs its own bank account then that can add a lot more time to the process not it's not legal time it's not time that i need to spend you know helping a charity to do that but in terms of the whole process it still it just adds up all to be, yeah all to be considered so so i mean generally i think we're saying that mo many organizations are unincorporated it would be worthwhile thinking about incorporating yeah for sure because yeah. of liability yeah. but also yeah. to bear in mind that this might be a lengthy process and yeah um but there's there are things that an organization can do for themselves in terms of looking at their assets and their governance and their documents uh, that you've already mentioned. Are there anything else, other, other things that need to be taken into account for individual charities that we haven't covered so far? I think it's hard to give a completely full answer to that um, because every, I'd, I'd say probably every incorporation I've worked on has been slightly different. Um, and it really depends on on what the assets are, the op whether whether the charity for instance has any registrations you know is it, that it needs to work out how they're going to be transferred um who's involved in the charity whether there is any statutory um bodies involved who have their own you know processes to go through um 
so yeah it's hard it's it's hard to sort of itemize all the different things um that need to be thought about in a in a in a fulsome way but but you know trustees know their charities best um yeah and so probably i think you know when i when i tend to get involved in corporations it's quite good to just have a general conversation to begin with about what the charity does and what it you know how it operates who's involved what kind of thing it it owns what its governance structure is in terms of you know when when are its upcoming trustee meetings members meetings all of that kind of thing mm. um so that a process can then be planned and i think in some ways that kind of initial looking at a charity situation is sometimes is the most useful part of the process from in terms of my input because you can sort of give a proper steer about what the roadmap to incorporation looks like and then you know hopefully it's just a, an administrative pro administrative process after that you just you know you everything gets put in place you get the right consents the authorizations and the trustees eventually just end up with you know a corporate in, a corporate structure which is hopefully much easier to administer and hopefully means that more trustees that there's there are more trustees interested in becoming trustees because of that you know they're not people being put off anymore by the fact that there's an unincorporated charity yes I really I really like you know that idea of really looking at the time scale of an organization too in terms of what you're saying their meetings AGMs members meetings and kind of almost fitting the process around what's happening in that organization yeah already. totally and also accounting years because it will yes. make sense to just just to do the switch at a convenient point in a year um because once yeah so once the transfer becomes effective then obviously the new cio becomes the operational charity um and so it makes sense if it can be done at a convenient time and that that's ideal um yeah although that doesn't always happen and it is i mean i just wouldn't want to put anyone off the process of incorporation by sort of suggesting that it's overly complicated because although it is a process it's I, I feel like it's one that's worth going through for trustees which um for charities which have trustees who might be personally exposed because they're entering into commitments and that kind of thing mm. um you know it's, it's yeah. a big ask I think of trustees to be involved in an unincorporated charity if if if, if the charity operates in circumstances which you know means personal liability is, is possible uh, yeah absolutely and um and and it sounds like it would be a good for a, any organization looking to incorporate to have at least an initial conversation so they can get the roadmap and figure out what it is they need to look at uh, and before they do some of the legwork themselves i think that's ideal if, a, if you know if, if a charity has the budget to do that that's definitely ideal um yeah it's 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 definitely like the, the the better option because you know there is a point you know trustees are always thinking about the risk to a charity and obviously if you're talking we're talking about a situation where the trustees are agreeing to transfer all of the assets to a new charity so it's definitely a risk um yeah and so you, if the trustees feel like they're not able to deal with it um completely by themselves then i think it's a totally reasonable thing to spend some of a charity's money on making sure that everything goes across properly um because you know if, if it's not done properly then just unwinding the problems um yes yeah we, yeah i was just thinking there more must difficulties. Be huge, huge pitfalls if it's if everything's not identified that needs to be done yeah exactly yeah, yeah exactly um, i mean i don't know i don't know if this analogy you know is correct it's certainly not from a legal point of view but it, in, in a way you know it's a bit like conveyancing isn't it you know you're selling one house you're getting rid of one entity charity and buying another one 
and all of the paperwork and the admin and everything that needs to be done needs to be done in order to make it work effectively yeah exactly and normally though you know if a charity does own premises then um it there will be conveyancing that has to be done as part of it anyway and so um yeah it sort of makes sense i think to expand that conveyancing input into getting some general um you know, chari- wider charity law advice about what, about the process and what needs to go across. Well, it's really great, Liz. And, you know, as I said, you know, Suffolk Pro Help doesn't have the capacity to be able to do um, charitable incorporations, but um, something like this podcast could at least uh, point people in the right direction and give people some idea of the important things to think about. And I just wanted to thank you for your time uh, uh, and expertise today. Oh, my pleasure no problem great uh but you know Suffolk Pro Help you know we may be able to give uh, broader advice and guidance on lots of charitable issues and uh, other things uh that charities may face regarding legal issues accountancy and otherwise so uh do come to us if we can help you so thanks again Liz no problem thanks for having me great.